deceleration, right? Start out assertively pursuing the person once we get their name and then slowly back off and drop it. It's the exact opposite of what you want to do. What you want to do instead, especially if the person has reached out to you or provided contact information, is accelerate your touch point. Hi, welcome. This is Zia here. And my guest today is Sean Casemore, a leading consultant on accelerating sales and revenues, a successful author and a keynote speaker. Sean shared many great insights uh, today on the podcast, uh, especially on succeeding in this business environment. Without further ado, let's get started. Hey, I appreciate you having me here, Zia. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Sean, to get things rolling, to get started, uh, why don't you talk to us about your journey so far? Connect the dots for us, uh, if you may, please. Sure. So as you and I spoke uh, a while ago, um, I had my start actually in sales uh, in my mid-20s selling cars. I had, uh, unlike today's job market, there was not a lot of jobs. I had returned back to my hometown and... uh, Anyways, long story short, ended up taking a job selling cars, my first real official role in sales. And uh, ever since then, my career varied following that time, uh, moved into an operations role for a period of time. Uh, I even worked in supply chain. I, I tell people I'm one of few uh, individuals in sales today that has been on the other side of the table. If you're, if you're working with purchasing folks or buyers, they kind of understand their mindset. So, uh, But long story short, then in about 2009, Decided to move out on my own. Uh, began doing a lot of work in the area of leadership because I'd led teams, sales teams uh, specifically for many years, and then transitioned into focusing just on sales uh, for the last number of years. And uh, because a lot of the work I was doing in leadership ended up being sales teams. So today, travel mostly across North America, uh, working with sales teams, speaking at events and conferences on topics relative to sales, uh, and have even written a couple books on the topic. That's great. So, uh, you know, talking about books, uh, congratulations on your new book, uh, The Unstoppable Sales Machine. That's that's an awesome title, uh, Sean. Uh, so, you know, talk to us about uh, the book itself, what led you to that particular book, and if, if it's possible for you to share some of the key messages, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as we uh, chatted here uh, just a little bit earlier, um, the book itself. So I wrote a book in 2017 that came out. It was published by uh, Penguin. And the book was called The Unstoppable Organization. And the reason that I wrote that book was I found there's a big gap when it comes to selling. Selling is a, a team sport. You know, you can have a strong performing sales team, but if customer service, operations, production, et cetera, if they're not aligned and, and not supporting the work and effort of sales, uh, you know, t- things tend to fall apart. The, the, the wheels will fall off the wagon, so to speak. So uh, I wrote that book to really talk about how to build a structure of an organization that will help you sell more. So it was a little bit of a different approach to sales. Um, but what I found is, is you know, following that book and, and obviously uh, speaking a lot about the topics within that book and sharing experiences I'd had with various clients who are, I think, uh, you know, achieving success in their, in their uh, region and their sector. Uh, what I found is really the gap exists, uh, I guess, like relative to a process. And, and what really brought that to light was obviously the pandemic. And all of a sudden, the sales teams were forced, you know, those that did travel, can't travel, um, you know, stuck at home uh, up against a, a computer screen for eight hours a day uh, and struggling, at least in the early part, as far as, um, you know, how do I sell now that I can't do what I normally do? So a lot of my time, yeah, in 20, 2020, excuse me, 2021 was, was working with those teams, helping them, helping them to understand how to sell. 
uh, in a virtual environment. Uh, but nonetheless, the book, then I started writing it because, you know, the, the idea that, you know, to say that we're going to go away or move away from using Zoom, right, and go back to selling face-to-face only, that that would be false. I, I think we all know at this point that it's going to really depend on what your, I, I prefer to call them buyers instead of prospects, but what your buyers or your customers desire, especially in the B2B market, that's how we're going to pursue the sale. So some companies have moved to having uh, individuals work off-site and that will remain. So how do we connect with those people? It might initially be at least virtually, although maybe we can meet them for a coffee if we're in that area. So you know, sales professionals were initially struggling. We got really good at selling virtually in many cases. And then things start to open up. And then the question is, well, okay, now what, right? Do I just do I shut down everything virtual and go back to all in person? Is there a combination? So the book really talks about how to implement and what kind of processes to implement in today's market, how to implement those processes, and how to engage your team in doing so, such that you can generate sales regardless of what's happening around you. So if we go into more lockdowns or have other economic fallout, how do I ensure that sales continues? And it talks about a lot of the trends that we're obviously seeing today trends such as you know marketing having to align more closely with sales because th- there's always been battles about the quality of leads. If you have a marketing department, well, if you start to have those groups, uh, those departments, those functions work together, you get higher quality leads, which means your salespeople spend more time selling rather than trying to qualify the leads that market to give them. But we it also discusses how do we sell in this new environment where it could be in person, it could be virtual. Um, you know, what does that look like and how do I manage and, and what are the processes I put in place in order to navigate that? So uh, long-winded answer to your short question, but the book really came about when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit and people were really struggling with making a shift in how we sell. I think to some degree, this idea of selling virtually is going to be here forever. Uh, it may, you know, we may see more virtual sales or, or not. So um, just kind of depending on the industry and the sector, but it's definitely not going away. And we need imp- ways to implement that we can ensure that sales continue uh, despite what's happening around us. That's obviously um, such a highly relevant topic now, right? Uh, especially uh, coming out of this COVID thing. Uh, one thing I found very difficult, or at least people facing a lot of difficulties, uh, was around uh, prospecting itself, uh, Sean, uh, in the virtual environment, right? Uh, any, any thoughts around prospecting strategies that will work uh, in today's uh, hybrid environment? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's a variety of them. In, in many cases, what I suggested, it's not necessarily something entirely new. It's a revision or a, a slight change to what we have been doing. So here's a simple example of a slight change. I'm a proponent of picking up the phone. You know, depending on who I'm talking to, I might get some pushback on that. But it, it's not with the intent of, hey, I'm just going to cold call you out of the blue uh, and try and sell you on the phone. The idea of using the phone today is the fact that everybody carries a phone for the most part, even if they work in, in a business. Obviously, they have a, a cell phone assigned to them, or I should say, a smartphone. So, uh, email. I'll, you know, I would say eighty plus percent of sales professionals are using email as part of their, as part of their prospecting. But one of the challenges is that spam filters continue to ratchet up meaning that our emails are getting stuck in Never Never Land and people aren't really seeing them. And in addition to that, the amount of email that you know business people within business uh, receive continues to grow. I think the average is, is getting close to 130 uh, per day on average. So how do we break through when we're prospecting to connect with people? Well, we can use the telephone with the intention of leaving a message to direct them to the email. So what I often, the script I often provide people is to say, 
you know, when you call somebody, you say, hey, this is Sean. And obviously, you'd use your name. You'd say, this is Sean calling. I was going to send you an email uh, for X, Y, and Z. It's got to be very succinct, obviously. But wanted to give you a call first to put a voice to the name. If you, you know, I'll send that email in the next hour, the next half an hour. Please have a look and would love to connect and discuss with you further. However, if you'd like to speak to me directly, you can call or text me at 555. So that kind of a script, and obviously we play around with that depending on the industry, it's meant to drive attention to our email. Um, so there, there's a simple example of a revision of, of strategies we've used for, for some time. Now flip that over to what's a new strategy? Well, I would say depending on the size of the organization, an advanced strategy would be let's coordinate with marketing and really make sure that the leads that we're trying to drum up are valid, are recognizable, are, are they really align with what I call our best clients or our best customers. And that's an acronym I'll, I'll share another time. But uh, what so in creating some alignment there, we get more value from marketing and we really equip our salespeople to go out and sell, as I mentioned earlier, rather than do what they do many times, which is take this list that marketing gives them and then spend their time sorting through and trying to figure out, is this, this, is this a good lead or not? So get these departments working together. And really, I think the future in at least large organizations that have a marketing department, or even if it's outsourced, they have a sales department, the future is going to be, and it's already changing, obviously, this is nothing new, but it's going to be a revenue department, right? We need to align and work together in order to generate revenue. Let's not worry so much about our titles and our functions. Let's focus on getting new clients or new customers. So there's you know, advanced strategies beyond that even. How do I take LinkedIn as a tool, as a resource, and create a conversation such that I can transition that you know, from LinkedIn, obviously, into email or better yet, in person or telephone or even maybe in Zoom. So a lot of different strategies to use. It really comes down, though, to the industry or sector that you're selling into. Because it really, if you think about if I'm selling into manufacturing, there's a demographic there, right? The Probably the average age of people in manufacturing that, that you might be selling to, it varies. It used to be, you know, let's say 45 to 60 years old. Now, you know, there's a lot of change happening. A lot of people are retiring and you're getting a lot of younger folks into, into buyer positions in manufacturing. So I've got to connect with them in different ways. So you've always got to take a look at who you're selling to, what is the demographic and what's their preferred way to communicate. I mean, th- there is there is an argument to be said that depending on the age of the individual that you're selling to, if, if it's quite common across various prospects that you're pursuing or various buyers, then maybe it would make sense to engage in something like Instagram. I, I'm not a Huge fan of social media for selling, other than LinkedIn, by the way. Um, but it, it can work again, depending. It's, so it's really dependent on on the sector or industry you're selling to and the demographic behind that. So, in your uh, experience, Sean, uh, you know, while you work with so many different clients, are there any innovative ideas or strategies that have worked on the prospecting side that you can share with us today? Uh, yeah, there's there's several, um, but but here's what I'll say is the most innovative, and I'll start here. What I find is in you know if you're if you're speaking to various sales groups, sales professionals, and you talk about some different strategies, you always get the the nodding of the head. But when it comes right down to it, what's innovative is is actually executing, practicing on a consistent basis these strategies. So you know that that might sound like a funny answer, but my point is that a lot of times people nod their head. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I'm doing that. I've done that. But when you peel back the onion, you realize oh they're not they're not really doing it. They're not really being consistent. They tried it once, they stopped. Because we all tend to default to what our habits are, what our comfort zone is. So if we hate the telephone and I say to you, hey, you should use the telephone as a way to drive people to email, 
your response would be, yeah, no, I've, I've used the telephone before. Meanwhile, you're going right back to sending emails. You don't try it. So the application execution is innovative because if we actually practice this stuff continuously, that's where we see results. But all of that said, uh, one example that comes to mind, this came from a study um, that, that I, I found actually last year. I did some testing with some clients and it, it works very well. When you think about um, a situation where you get a lead. So what tends to happen is this, sales is given a lead. And, and actually, I'll use an example. It's probably better. I reached out to a company inquiring about a product that they manufactured and sold direct. So I, of course, provided my contact information. In this case, it was on their website. Um, so that then obviously went to sales. So Monday morning at 9.13, I get a call. I didn't answer it, went to voicemail. It was followed up by an email. Later that afternoon, I received another message and another email. I didn't, for, for the purposes of my testing here, I didn't, I didn't respond. I left it the next day about 9.15. So a couple of minutes later, I get a, a voicemail and I get an email. On Wednesday, I got an email only. On Thursday, I got nothing. On Friday, I got an email that said kind of the typical, hey, haven't heard from you. If you're still interested, here's my contact information. And that was it. Never heard from that person. Again, that is the atypical sales response. If we get a lead, we're excited and we jump on it. And in this person's case, they were using you know, a combination of the contact information. They had the telephone and email. I could tell by the time that they probably started at 9 a.m. And based on where it was in their list, that's where they were getting to. But the point is this, that studies have shown that that deceleration, right? Start out assertively pursuing the person once we get their name and then slowly back off and drop it is the exact opposite of what you want to do. What you want to do instead, especially if the person has reached out to you or provided contact information, is accelerate your touch points, accelerate your, your outreach. So for example, in the, the case I just gave, that person might have called and followed up with an email on Monday, right? That, that makes sense. That's being responsive, but then left it until the following Tuesday, let's say. So let's say eight business days uh, and done the same sequence again, and then left it until the following Monday. So now we're starting to shorten the time here between touch points, between outreach, and then maybe that following Friday. So what happens is we, we start out with large gaps. It could be one to two weeks between touch points, and we slowly reduce those number of days. The reason that the study found that this is working well is because psychologically, uh, you're hearing from somebody initially slowly. So, you know, people are, let's, let's presume they're getting your information. It's not getting stuck somewhere. They see your name. They decide not to respond. But when you slowly start to, to accelerate the time between, or I should say shorten the time between your outreach, it creates a suggestion that there's something important this person wants to connect with you on. So I often tell my clients, and they've done this and had great results is that rather than get the name and jump all over it and then slowly fade off and then never, never land. Uh, start out slowly and start to uh, accelerate uh, your your outreach so that you create this psychological situation where people are believing you know three four weeks down the road when you're you're trying to reach out to them maybe day one and day three at that point right um, that you're creating an environment where they're wondering hold on a second maybe I better respond here and remember if at that point they're slightly annoyed and the response is look you're you know, you're, you're reaching out to me now constantly like what's going on please leave me alone. That's a check mark because I'm not trying to upset people here, but I am trying to get their attention. And sometimes that means to get their attention, I have to annoy them a bit. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. And of course, I'm always trying to use a language and an approach that, that is courteous, but we, we've got to stop trying to be um, nice uh, and, and instead focus on, look, if I believe I can help you and I have a product or service that can help you, I, there's an obligation I have to pursue you. But the way I pursue you uh, should change versus how it has we, we've typically done it in the past, which is that deceleration approach. 
And Sean, I think we we briefly connected about this sometime back. Uh, you know, you spoke about pyramid of value. You know, how about we spend some time on what is pyramid of value and how does it how is it relevant to the sales professionals today? Sure. So uh, I created this uh, a couple of years ago now, um, Zia. Where you know when you when you work with the sales team and you think about well what what gets people's attention, what, what's going to get them to engage with me when I am reaching out, it's it's value. But that's easy to say. But the question that usually came back to me is, okay, what's value, Sean? Right? Define for me. So if I'm selling widgets, I'm selling insurance, I'm selling financial services, I'm selling engineering services, whatever the case might be, whatever you're selling, what is value? Well, we could really look at the common practices, right? So what is a value to most people today is responsiveness, right? If you take a look at the Gartner study that was done, I think it was released early 2020. What it found is what we already know, which is today's buyers specifically in B2B, uh, regardless of industry or sector, are spending more time researching before they engage with sales. So that's not surprising. Um, but what we need to consider then is if we're spending this time researching, what is a value is ways in which we can support them in the research. So we're not we're not trying to push back on the research necessarily, unless it's you know completely false, or we're trying to take a more provocative approach. But what we want to do is make sure that we can support them while they're researching. So it, it really struck me that when it comes to value, obviously it depends on the sector you're selling into, but that there are some fundamental ways in which we can look at value, which will allow us as a sales professional come up with a whole list of of um ideas that we can then share as value that are helpful uh, to our prospects to, or to our buyers. So I broke this out into five different levels. And the purpose of this then was to get sales professionals to think about value deeper than just, okay, what's a value? I've got a brochure. Here you go. What's a value? I can discount the price. Here you go. Right. That Those are kind of the common approaches. So the five levels of value starts at the very bottom with an informative value. So informative value is value that supports the buyer in the research. So it is information that simplifies the research, that clarifies some points that might be a little bit unclear in the industry, and obviously something that uh, complements or supports the benefits of buying your product. So maybe a specific stat or information that is not necessarily uh, well-known, that if a buyer knew this, it would be helpful. And and again, I'll talk about how we deliver this in a minute. So that's informative value. Then we move to fundamental value. Fundamental value is the fact that whatever you're offering has to satisfy the basic expectations of your buyer. So that's just fundamental. So for example, if I was, I'll use something everybody can relate to here. If I was going to go buy, uh, let's say a car, we talked about that earlier. There's some fundamental things I expect. If you're trying to sell me a car that has crank windows, uh, and some of your audience might not even know what that is, versus power windows, uh, it, it, that's that's no longer acceptable, and it doesn't meet the fundamental expectations I have that windows are power. Period. Right. So uh, that is sometimes something as sales professionals we can impact. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes you're selling a product that you have no influence over that product itself. But if you want to be successful in sales, ultimately you have to make sure that there's fundamental value there that satisfies the basic buyer expectations. The next level is unique value. Unique value is that value that sets you apart from the competition. So what is it that you do as a sales professional that can be helpful and set you apart from what your competition is doing? So maybe as an example, it's a thank you note that you send somebody after you speak to them and it's personally signed by you. If that's something your competition doesn't do, that would set you apart and, and make you unique. So simple example, but you get the point. The, the second last level is individual value. That is value that satisfies your buyer's needs. So if your buyer or your prospect is somebody that has identified to you things that they need, or historically you find there are needs that most buyers have 
that you can satisfy in return, what you can do is use that as a way to add value. So an example of individual value uh, might be responding to after hours uh, inquiries or questions or meetings because your buyer has advised that they're busy till 5 p.m. every day. They can't really connect till 6. You're not normally working at 6, but hey, it's unique to this buyer. It's not something I always deal with. They've made a request or a suggestion that this is going to be helpful to them. So I'm going to connect at 6 o'clock. And you'll notice that as we move up the pyramid, you can go back down the list and say, well, if I'm satisfying unique value, it's probably also going to be something that's that's going to benefit me when it comes to to selling the product and, and obviously building a strong relationship. Sorry, uh, individual value, excuse me. The last one is monetary value. Uh, monetary value is that your product, your service has to provide a significant ROI. That ROI can be both quantitative and qualitative. It's going to depend on what your buyers or prospects are telling you their needs are. But that you as a sales professional have to make that present, right? You have to be discussing the ROI that your product or service can provide that buyer and make it clear to them because it's not always clear. If I said to you, you need to, to buy our mattress versus that mattress, okay. And if our mattress is more expensive, the first place you're going to go is, okay, I'm not going to buy your mattress. It's more expensive unless there's some great benefit. So I have to be able to quantify and qualify, say, well, yeah, it's $200 more expensive, but if you extrapolate $200 over 10 years, what is it really costing you, right? So there's, a, there's not a big cost here over the term of their, their mattress. And here are the benefits you get. Here's why it's $200 more, right? So that's something that really takes that monetary value and spells it out. So I use this pyramid uh, in order to help sales professionals take a look at what they're selling and break down value at different levels, which equips them with all sorts of resources, tools, and options when it comes to helping their buyers, because it's value that are gonna, that's going to get people's attention. When when I reach out, I went to a um, stopped by a, a, I was in the airport actually, but a week ago, and I stopped by to get a, a smoothie. I, I won't name the company, but nonetheless, so I stopped, and the the individual I said, "Can I get it?" It was like a a medium size smoothie that was on the menu, and it had uh, soy protein powder. So I said, "Can I get this here?" They said, "No, sorry, you know we we don't offer." Uh, they they had that in sorry in the large and I said can I get that in a small and they said no sir we don't offer that shake with the protein in a small I said okay that's that's weird so I picked another one so a little while later when I'm traveling I obviously drink a lot of smoothies I stopped by another same 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 uh, company different city and I stopped by and I now know okay apparently they don't offer protein powder this this specific mix in the small so I said to the lady you know I'd really like to have that one but I've been told you don't offer that in a small size. And she said, oh, well, we can simply take that, put a little bit less protein powder in it, and that's fine. And I said, oh, you can? I, I was told you can only get a medium. She said, well, that's the rule. But the reason we do that is because if you put too much protein powder in a small, it's very gritty tasting. So we'll just reduce the amount of protein powder, and you can have that exact shake. So to me, same company, right? But the individual that was selling me the same product offered additional value by helping me and, and in addition, explaining what's going on. So now when I go in, I could say, I want that one in a small, and I want you to put half the protein powder in. And if they argue it, I, I've got a case to make, right? So simple example, but it's, it's that kind of value that is drawing buyers in and attracting them ultimately to dealing with us as salespeople. That's part of building a relationship. So, Awesome. Awesome. So in your opinion, uh, Sean, what is the role of sales managers right, in today's uh, uh, selling environment and how do they need to keep their sales professionals uh, motivated and inspired? Let me hear your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, so um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, just just this past week. Here, I was working with some different organizations and different sales leaders. You know, as a sales leader, generally speaking, and and this is 
there's kind of a cliche around this, but a lot of times sales leaders are those people who are strong in sales and they were promoted into a sales manager, sales director, sales vice president role. And you know, despite the idea that hey, if I take my best salesperson and promote them, now I've lost my best salesperson. That's kind of the the uh, the cliche here. But the, the point is that if I was strong in sales and as a result of that, now I'm leading the team, I tend to thrust upon the people I'm hiring my expectations, my level of performance. And if you factor in what the job market looks like today, aka there's not a lot of sales talent out there. Um, there, there are tens of thousands, tens of thousands of open sales roles. Uh, across North America. Um, so when you take a look at that gap and say, okay, so I'm trying to hire and build a team. If I thrust, if I've got, take my existing team and I'm really pushing them hard based on my experience and expectations as a sales leader, I could scare some people away. One hand, you might think that's okay, but if you realize it's going to be pretty difficult to replace them, maybe you're better to hold on to them. Uh, it also comes down when I'm hiring, right? I might take a look at the profile, the experience, maybe even some psychometric testing or something that that person does, compare it to my own experience as a sales leader and say, well, this isn't a top performer. I don't want them. But in today's environment, we're better off to, to accept, to hire, and to retain people that are committed to the company and work with them on their sales skills. That's the good news, right? Sales skills. I'm not a believer that you are born to sell. I think it's a skill you create. Obviously, your experience, your personality, your behavioral traits, all of those things can help you advance maybe faster than others. But if you've got an open mind, you're willing to learn and apply, I can teach anybody to sell. That, that's kind of the fundamental. You've got to have the right mindset and, and a way we can go. So with that in mind, sales leaders need not to be always searching for the top salesperson. They need not to be thinking about shedding the bottom half of their sales team because they may have a hard time or difficult time replacing them. Instead, take a look at the composition of your team, identify the gaps and skills that you see, and then don't necessarily put everybody through skills advancement. If, if some people are really strong in prospecting and some aren't, well, how can we improve the skills of those who aren't? And it's a multi-pronged approach. It might be a matter of, there might be some training you want to provide them, it might be some mentorship with those who are highly successful in that skill, it might be some coaching to provide. There's lots of ways to advance skills. So I guess my advice based on our current job market uh, and, and as our market itself may change here in, in the coming months, as the uh, media is predicting and get a little bit tighter, um, you know, it's going to be important we have all the salespeople that we, we can in order to be successful. So take a look at your sales team. Don't ditch the bottom performers. Uh, don't worry when you're hiring. Don't worry so much if they don't have the skills. Look for commitment to the company. Look for an open mind. Look for a willingness to adapt and apply new skills. And then you can invest time and effort in those individuals and move them up the scale. Might they ever become a top sales performer? It's hard to say. I've seen it happen. doesn't always happen. But in this market, it's much more important to me that somebody sticks around and is consistent versus being a top performer. And yet I might lose them tomorrow because somebody down the road is going to offer them more money. Coming back to uh, you know Sean as an individual, right? I would love to know uh, you know what are some of your daily habits, uh, right? From the time you you get up in the morning, what 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 is working for you, uh, Sean? Yeah, so um, some I'm consistent with, and and some I'm not. I think I'm I'm human like anybody else. So uh, you know, when I get up, so I was up this morning about five or shortly after. I do that whether I'm in a hotel or or at my uh, my office, and I go to the gym. Uh, if I'm at a hotel, I try and go outside for a walk. I just find getting. Getting things moving in the morning. If you just sit around and check emails and, and drink coffee, it doesn't really get me moving. I need to get up and get active for a short period of time. Um, so I started every day with some sort of exercise, stretching to kind of get things going. 
Uh, I tend to spend a lot of time early in the morning getting any administrative tasks out of the way I can. So follow-up emails, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but again, I don't spend a lot of time on that. I find my prime time as far as outreach, prospecting, uh, you know, basic sales activities is kind of between the hours of... Uh, I'm good between 8 and 12. Uh, prospects typically are easier to reach during those times. So I, I try and block that time out to the extent possible um, in order to you know do my outreach and, and my follow-up. And then a lot of the coaching work that I do with clients is in the afternoon. And then I find I typically, by the time I get to about five o'clock, I'm, I'm done for the day. So I shut it down. Uh, I find every evening if I can, if I'm around home, spend some time with my children. That's a good way I do some coaching of... Um, baseball uh, for one of my sons. In the winter, we have hockey, so I'm on the coaching staff there. I find it's a good way to empty your mind uh, and, and focus, but take the skills of coaching that I use with clients and training that I use with clients and apply it to, to kids. Just a, it's a different environment. So, um, And then you know, I've, I've got some hobbies. Uh, specifically, the, the one that I have is I like to work on cars, as much as that might sound odd. Um, it's a way to empty my brain because I have to focus on fixing something in front of me that I've probably never done before. Um, and I can pretty much fix anything with a YouTube video and a set of tools. So, so those are, those are most of my hobbies that, um, but the daily regimen's pretty straightforward. It starts with some exercise, get some administrative, which are typically follow-ups from the day I'm, you know, made some calls the day before. Uh, let me do some follow-ups here, do some outreach, uh, and then jump into peer prospecting for a couple hours in the morning and then on to more. Um, you know, day-related tasks that need to be completed. So, uh, Sean, before we end the part today, uh, is there any other advice that you would like to share with the sales professionals that we have not covered already? No, you know, I, I, one of the things we talked about, Zia, just, um, you know, before this conversation was you asked, what are some of the books or podcasts that I like? I listen to a lot of audio books, but what I find there is, depending on the person that is speaking, uh, it can be entertaining or not. Um, I, I read a lot of biographies of highly successful people. Um, probably the most recent uh, was one on Elon Musk. I've listened to also before that, I think it was on Kevin Hart. So uh, just biographies of successful people. I'm always interested in, in how they've lived their life and their habits. Um, and the other thing, a book that I'm currently reading uh, that I find is, is uh, I think, good for sales professionals is The Gap and the Gain uh, by Dan Sullivan. Uh, it really talks about the fact that from a mindset standpoint, uh, a lot of times we, we set a goal, and these are my words, not Dan's, but we set a goal and we change that goal. And we're constantly pursuing this ideal state rather than stop and look back from where we came and realize the success we've had. So, you know, I think that's a good, a good book would be a good book for a lot of sales professionals because we do tend to do that. We set a goal and if we achieve it or we get close, we change the goal. And then we're never really fully satisfied because we feel like that goals, the goals we set are never really achieved. But in reality, it's because we keep moving the goalposts around. So that would be a good resource I'd suggest um, that, you know, kind of help with the mindset. As we uh, move forward into the market uh, shifts that are probably happening, things might not be as easy as they have been up until now for many. So, so we'll see what happens. So, where can uh, if someone wants to reach out and say hi to you, Sean? Where can they find you? Yeah, I think the probably the easiest is my website. Obviously, it's um, www.seancasemore.com. Uh, along the top is a link if they're interested. Every Thursday, I have what I call the Thursday Thrive. It's it's. Uh, basically sales strategies and tips that sales professionals can execute immediately. There's actually an exercise at the bottom. Uh, so they can click the button and subscribe to that. On the flip side, there's some free training uh, you'll see pop up on the, on the homepage. If, it's your interest, if you're interested, it's on prospecting. It's a video series I put together. Aside from my website and all the resources there, they can always connect with me on LinkedIn. 
which is obviously Sean Casemore. Uh, you'll find me there, and I publish a lot of content. I have a uh, weekly live every Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern, and I'm pretty much on every other social channel you'll find, except TikTok, and nobody has yet talked me into uh, to visiting TikTok. But other than that, uh, easy to find. If you can't do any of those, you can always Google my name, and I'm sure I'll pop up somewhere. Awesome. Great. So, Sean, this has been a great pleasure. Thanks for taking the time and good luck on your new book. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and uh, looking forward to staying connected. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and I will greatly appreciate if you can leave a review. If you have any suggestions for future guests or any feedback, please write to me at zia at sellingtoenterprises.com. See you on the next episode. Thank you.